So those holy habits, how do we live them? Well, to live a life that lasts and to gain rewards that survive the fire and receive the unfading crown. Paul says in this passage, the key is a series of habits and holiness. In our startup trays, they're kind of like the little building blocks of our lives. The habits of holiness that are energized by God's grace. They're not by us trying to, to gain favor with the Lord. We can't. God won't love us any more or any less. It isn't for us to help get us to heaven. Either you're going or you're not by Christ's work alone. It's for us to give Him offering from our love. His grace energizes us that we love Him so much we obey Him prompted by love, energized by His grace. Note again the penetrating words of verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, now whenever there's a therefore, you think, what is that there for? What's the reason that little, that little reminder is there? Well, it's therefore having these promises. So you have to look back. What promises? They precede the therefore. So you look back into chapter 6. And because of those promises, we have to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So verse one of chapter seven is the is the entree to the content of, of verses 14 to the end of chapter six. And that's what Paul starts with. Look at the end of verse 16 of Second Corinthians six. Paul says this. God has said. And then he quotes from a blend of eight different Old Testament verses. Now, have you ever thought about that? If you have a study Bible, maybe you have a little little uh, letters that tell you the allusions or quotations to the Old Testament. But starting in verse 16, when he said, God has said, he's quoting from eight different verses, four different books. And think for a moment what Paul does to instruct and train New Testament believers, to instruct and train a New Testament local church. What does Paul do? He goes back and reminds him of God's expectations written in the Old Testament. And that should send a little chill through you if you have never read it. Have you thought about that? Here is the great apostle to the Gentiles. Most of us are probably Gentiles. We're not Jewish descent, a lot of us this morning. Here is a local church. Here is the apostle to the local church. Here is the man in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. No matter what dispensation you are, this is certainly in the, the church age. You know, we have all these different groups and they, you know, the Acts 9 group that says the New Testament doesn't start there and the hyper dispensation. It doesn't matter. When you're in 2 Corinthians 6, you're in the New Testament, no matter what stripe you are theologically. What does Paul use? To challenge the believers. Eight verses from four Old Testament books. Now you know what he could have done? He could have just written stuff the Holy Spirit told him to write that was brand new stuff. And that would have been all New Testament words. But you know what God is trying to say? He's trying to say, my character, my expectations, my desire for you, I've already written down. It's my immutable, unchanging, holy character. And that's what Paul cites. And so, from this blend of Old Testament passages, we all should want to catch from Paul how vital the revelation of God is to all of us in the Old Testament. And how important that should be. And how, as a part of our startup tray, we should include a little slugging through, plodding through, mining from the Old Testament. 
Because there's a tremendous, three quarters of the Bible is in the Old Testament. And there's a tremendous wealth there. Well, look at verse 17. After that little reminder to look back at the Old Testament, Paul goes on to Isaiah 52.11. And he quotes from that passage and he reminds us that God's command is for us to be spiritually separated. And that command drawn from Isaiah 600 plus years before Christ is a reminder that God's character is timeless and eternal. And his desire for us to be separated spiritually is also timeless and eternal. Now, now God instructed the children of Israel in their ceremonial law all kinds of strange things, you know, like you can't mix cotton and wool together. You can't plant two kinds of seeds in a, in a row. Now, that is not for us. Those were visible reminders in the, the covenant community of their separation. But what is for us is God doesn't want us to be yoked together with unbelievers. By the way, the first the first application of that to every single believer is that believers do not marry unbelievers. And if believers do not marry unbelievers, then believers don't get engaged to unbelievers. And if believers don't get engaged to unbelievers, believers shouldn't date unbelievers. The Bible is against evangelistic dating. Did you catch? God is not for that. And he says it's like putting the temple of God with the temple of an idol. He said it's like putting light and darkness and and putting them together. What you should do is what I've heard several testimonies of this of young people that said to the one that liked him, no, not until you're a Christian. Boy, that put a great motivation on the guy. Now, some of them can fake it, but you you can't fake permanently. And you can see whether there's a wonderful change. But he says, I want you to be separate. I want you not to be yoked together with unbelievers. God desires us to be separate. And the command for us is in the New Testament as believers, as Christ declares he was in Hebrews 7.26, holy, harmless, undefiled, made separate from sin. Now, look how he applied it. Jesus Christ was a friend of publicans and sinners and wine-bibbers and and tax collectors. Uh, He knew harlots and ministered to them. But it was so clear as he ministered to them that he wasn't joining in their activities. See, there's a big difference between being a friend of sinners, a friend of those in need, and being like them and being involved with them and being confusing to others. Well, what are some personal habits of consecration? Paul begins in verse 18 telling us the benefits of consecration is that they lead us away from what displeases God. That's what he starts explaining in verse 18. And and look what he says. He says, this is the benefit. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters. I am the Lord God Almighty. The benefits are immense. The results of separation from false doctrine and sinful habits is that we will have an increasing enjoyment of the full riches of what it means to be God's children. There, there, is, there is wonderful, in fact, it says in the book of Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17, all the, the incredible benefits of sonship and daughtership of God, being his spiritual children. But you know what? We can't enjoy that when we are grieving and quenching him by our sinful habits or by our adherence to false doctrine. When Paul says, therefore, in verse 1, he applies the passages from the Old Testament that blended together for the Corinthians and for us today, God's standard. He calls them having these promises. 
In 2 Corinthians 7.1, we are called as believers to respond consciously by active choices to God's promises. Now, in the New Testament, there are lots of promises. You know Romans 12.1 and 2. Uh, God says that, that we are not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of the mind. What's the promise? Then we'll know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, there are promises that that come to us as a result of our response, of our obedient response. The same with Second Peter 1, 3, on and on we go. But Paul continues to apply, look at verse 1 of chapter 7, God's word by saying this, because of all those Old Testament Blended verses. I'll walk with them in verse 16. And I will walk among them. I'll be their God. Verse 17. Because of the command to come out, be separate, don't touch. Because of all that, look what verse 1 says. Let us cleanse ourselves. Now, now this Greek form is not just a statement. It is a, an invitation from God for us to respond. It is actually a, uh, a, a call to us. This is a call to consecration. In fact, the Greek word that the Holy Spirit guided Paul to write is a word that describes an action each believer must take for their own life. This is not for us to the maintenance crew to clean the building better. It's not that. It's let us be personally cleansing our own life. That's the holy habit of consecration. And what we see here is each of us are expected to have spiritual hygiene habits. Just like you physically wash your hands when you get home from the store or after you're around a bunch of sick people or after you've been somewhere that, that you know that, that, that you could get some pathogens or you could get some virus or whatever. Just like you, you tell your kids, you know, oh, don't put your hands in your mouth. You had them on the escalator or on the doorknob or you just came from that public restroom. Oh, wash your hands, you know. Spiritually, we're supposed to have spiritual hygiene habits. And we should be just as concerned uh, spiritually as we are physically. Well, what are the spiritual goals for cleansing that we must make as our habits? Well, look at the rest of verse 1. Cleansing, Paul says, look at the next line, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now, that's a novel concept, the filthiness of the flesh we've got. You know, last night I was uh, teaching one of my boys. It's fun to teach boys stuff. I says, hey, I want to teach you how to polish shoes. I hadn't done him yet. And he says, oh, sounds exciting, Dad. And so I got out the kit and everything and, uh, you know, put put the little cloth there and went in the, the shoe polish, you know, and showed him how to do it and how to buff it. And I says, and now you can do the other one. Boy, he did a great job. I found a new shoe shiner in the family. But you know what? I still have a little bit of shoe polish right here because I was a little zealous in my poking it in that little rag, you know, like this. And so we all know what filthiness of the flesh is. You work in the garden, you have dirt under your fingernails. You work in a shop, you have grease and grime under your fingernails. Uh, you know, you work in some crafts and you get, you get stained. You paint, you get paint on you. So filthiness of the flesh we've got. But look at what the verse says. From all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Now there's something we aren't often thinking about. We can see when we have dirt under our fingernails. We don't see when we have dirt in our spirits. Malignancy there. And what Paul says is, do you know that you can get filthy spiritually? And when you do that, that feeds and strengthens our flesh. This is the only time that this word translated filthiness is used in the New Testament. But in the Greek Old Testament, remember, the, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek. 
It's called the Septuagint. And so when you see how those scholars took the Greek language and changed the Hebrew words into Greek words, when you see those Greek words in the Old Testament show up in the New Testament, you find a wonderful correspondence and a a real insight into what they mean. And so in the Old Testament, this word filthiness is used three times. And it's used for religious defilements, unholy alliances with idols, going to idol feasts, being involved with temple prostitutes or sacrifices or festivals of worship to those idolatrous deities. We must not feed our flesh or defile our spirits with evil doctrines or evil practices, is what he's saying. Don't defile your spirit. Paul concludes this passage, look back at verse 1, with a passionate plea of the Corinthians then and to us today, that we must be involved while we're here on earth. Look what he says. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So he goes through this whole lesson from all these Old Testament passages, and then he says, you've got to be personally involved in the cleansing. You've got to watch out to not just get your body clean, but also your spirit. And then he says this, perfecting. This idea is a lifelong chosen course of holy habits The Greek word for perfecting means to finish or to complete. The word holiness here speaks of separation from anything that can defile our redeemed body or spirit indwelt mind. This isn't talking about holiness as far as our positional holiness in Christ. This is talking about practical, daily, sanctified choices that lead us to holy living. This morning, God wants each of us who belong to him to be sure we're cultivating spiritual habits that lead to a growing separation from sin. Spiritual habits that lead me to a growing separation from sin. A decreasing frequency of exposing and involving myself in things that grieve and quench the Spirit of God and displease the Lord. And increasingly responding to things that please him. That's what Paul is asking each of us to do. God wants to work through us and in us more and more. And to help us get grounded.